confused. Actually, who's that guy up there? That's what I want to know. <laughs> He's better looking than I am. Hello? Not yet, but it could be eventually. It is, yeah, it's green. Duh. Oh, ah, okay. I just hold it close to my mouth. All right. Yeah, I'm wondering who that guy is, but I like that picture. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for doing that. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, okay, good. Oh, no, uh-uh. Oh, that's better. The better-looking one. Uh, that is in Greece. Oh, my goodness. Why do you have that picture up there? That's <laughs> oh <laughs> that picture got me in lots of trouble. That's the, the Grand Mosque in Mecca in Saudi Arabia, where you can only go if you're a Muslim. But I had a, a friend who's a Saudi ambassador to the European Union who snuck me in. And then... I took a selfie in front of the Kaaba, that black thing, and then posted it on Facebook, thinking that was a good idea. That wasn't a good idea. I won't, I won't tell you why, but anyway, that yeah, quick, quick, that got me in, tr that got me in a lot of trouble with uh, several governments in the world. So there you go. That's yeah, it really did. Uh, anyhow, I'm not talking about politics today. I'm not really talking about the Middle East or Muslim ministry. I'm not pitching you on our ministry, you know you know that missionaries are famous for pretending to preach, but really what they're doing is telling you that you should uh, get involved in their ministry, so I'm actually not doing that. Um, I actually want to encourage you with some thoughts about sharing Jesus with your friends and your neighbors, and really that's what we do. I mean, we live in, in Denver now half the year, in Greece half the year, and so our neighbors are from Colorado and they're from Greece. And uh, for 16 years, we lived in the Middle East. So when we were in the Middle East, 12 years in Beirut and six years in Dubai, or four years in Dubai, um, our neighbors were Arabs and mostly Muslims. So we shared Jesus with them. And I think there's a stigma in the church these days around evangelism. If, if you said, so I was watching your uh, announcements and I thought, oh, an Easter breakfast, that sounds fun. That's not controversial, right? Everybody should come to an Easter breakfast because we all know how to eat, and it's pretty, I mean, obviously I know how to eat, and, um, and you can do that, and nobody's intimidated by that. But if we said Saturday before Easter, we're going to meet here at 10 a.m., and we're going to go out on the streets of Alliance and do evangelism, my guess is a lot of you would be busy. You'd be doing your hair, watching cartoons. I mean, you'd make up stuff that, I mean, who wants to do that? And so there's this weird association around the word evangelism that causes us not to actually share our faith. And I think it's uh, largely because of how we've thought of doing that. So I just want to tell you, I'm going to tell you three quick stories this morning. And, and listen carefully for the point. I'm making points as I tell the stories. It's not, they're not just good stories, but I'm, I'm trying to get a point across. And there's just one point, and that's that this is all about sharing Jesus, not our religion. That's the point. It's Jesus, not our religion. Our religion, we like, we like our religion. It's called Christianity. We think it's a great religion. Nobody ever closed their prayer in the name of Christianity, amen. Because it's not in the name of Christianity we live or preach. It's in the name of Jesus. Nobody ever finished a prayer in the name of the assemblies of God, amen. It's in Jesus' name. And we forget that, so I want to just I remind you. So years ago, when we were living in Beirut, Lebanon, believe it or not, I was asked to preach in a mosque. A mosque is like a Muslim church, and I actually ended up preaching in lots of mosques. And as I was walking up, uh, walking up three or four stairs onto the stage, the imam, like Pastor Jim would be the imam of the, you know, the head guy of the mosque, uh, he ran up behind me and grabbed my shoulder, and I thought, oh, shoot, you know, uh, he's going to kill me. No, he's going to tell me, you know, you can't do this, obviously. I mean, why would a Christian guy be preaching in a mosque? So he grabbed my shoulder, and he said, Mr. Carl, they, always, they would always call me Mr. Carl. Mr. Carl, Mr. Carl, one thing. And he got right in my face. You know, the personal space in some parts of the world is like right here. He got right in my face. Mr. Carl, one thing. Just speak about Jesus. And I said, I looked at him kind of funny. I go, uh, you know, I was thinking, is this a trick, is this a trick point? Or I said, okay. And so I, I was going to anyway, but that, like that, that seared, it burned into my mind that here's a Muslim cleric, a Muslim leader who's telling me to preach about Jesus. Now, what he meant by that was all kinds of things. He doesn't want me to preach about America. I don't know if you know it, but they don't all like America. He doesn't want me to preach about Christianity, which are the same thing in their mind. 
again, I don't know if that's a newsflash or not, but Christianity in America and mu much of the world is the same thing. So whatever they see from America, they think is Christian. So what do they see coming out of America? I mean, from their perspective, they see that I've had so many Muslims say, why do you guys all shoot your kids in school? That's the weirdest thing. And they think that's Christian. Why is pornography mostly an American thing? Do, are Christians in the, into pornography? Well, sometimes. Uh, see, see what I mean? So Starbucks. Starbucks is the Christian coffee house. There are Starbucks, by the way, all over the Muslim world. And that's where you go if you want a Christian coffee. Why? It's because it's from America. So anyway, from that moment on, when that imam said to me, don't talk about anything else but Jesus, I started down this path. So here are the three quick stories. Uh, I don't know if you guys have Mormons in Alliance. Do you have Mormons? I assume so. The best neighbors and most wonderful people of all time, probably. And it's handy because Mormon missionaries always, you can identify them, right? How do you know a Mormon missionary? They wear a white shirt and a tie. I think. I think they always do that. Do they still do that? I think so. So anyway, one day I was at our house in Denver, and I was uh, looking out the window for some reason. I don't know why I was even home, but there was the two guys going door to door, and we lived on a cul-de-sac at the time, and they were they're going there, 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 knocking. I could see them knock, knock, then wait, push, you know, assume pushing a door, doorbell. Nobody was opening the door. And I knew a couple of the houses, people were home. So I'm thinking, oh, of course they don't want to open the door because it's awkward, Mormon missionary, what do you say? Obviously, when they came around mine, I had the door open already, <laughs> you know, so I'm like, hey, guys, come on in. And so, you know, they were kind of uh, taken aback by my warm welcome, but I said, come on in. I said, by the way, uh, just to say something real quick here, do you guys know that some of those people were home and they didn't open the door? Have you ever wondered why they don't open the door? That's the first thing I said to them. They got, they went, they were like, uh, no. I said, well, anyway, well, let's get to that later. Tell me what you want to tell me. Let's, let's talk. I'm ready. I want to talk. I want to, I want to listen to what you have to say. So they, they dove in, and very quickly they started going to Joseph Smith, which is the kind of the main prophet of the Mormon church. And, I, and again, I said, wait, wait, uh, time out, pause just for a second here. I said, this might have something to do with why people don't open the door. Because I don't know about my neighbors, but I don't know very much about Joseph Smith. I'm assuming he was a great guy. And remember, you're listening for points here, not just my story, like what I'm at, the point behind. So I could say, by the way, you Mormon dogs are going to hell. Like that doesn't work that well. I, I don't know if you've ever done that before or not, but I, I wouldn't recommend that. Or you could say, Joseph Smith, I get, uh, my guess is he's a great guy. And my guess is he was a great guy. I actually don't know him. And I said that. I, d I never met him. I don't know anything about Joseph Smith. So the problem is, my guess is those neighbors don't open the door because they feel awkward talking about someone they don't know. And they're like, well, you know, th that's why we're here to teach you. And I said, great, but what if you started out first with some common ground? That's always a good principle in dialogue, especially when you're talking to somebody who doesn't know what you want them to know. Start with some common ground. And they, they both said, well, what would that be? And I said, I think it's the guy on your badge. And they both went like this and looked at their badge. You know the guy on their badge, right? Come on, you can do it. The Church of Jesus Christ. Remember? That is the name of their church, by the way. It's not Mormon. It's the Church of Jesus Christ. And never mind the last part of it, because I don't know what that means anyway. But it's the Church of Jesus Christ. So I said the, the guy on your badge. And they both got confused like you were confused. And they both looked at it, and they're looking at, you know, it's Elder Bob and Elder Dan. I'm like, no, not that guy. Uh, you know, the guy, the main guy on your badge. And they're like, Jesus Christ? I go, yeah, because most of the people around here are some kind of Christians. So they, they said, well, we're Christians too. I said, great. I'm not saying you're not Christians. I'm just saying the guy on your badge is somebody that we all like. We're all, we're all thinking we're on his team. So if you started out with Jesus, not Joseph, my guess is the conversation would just go better. And they're like, wow. And so I said, so let's practice. You go first. Tell me something that Jesus Christ, the guy on your badge, has been doing for you lately. And they're like, uh. <laughs> and then I said, and this is really funny that you just quoted that scripture this morning, because they said, why don't you go first? I said, okay. Well, actually, and this is true. I said, actually, I've been kind of stressed lately, and I was just thinking about Matthew chapter 11, and, uh, which you quoted this morning. And I don't know how it works. It's like magic. But Jesus says, if you come to me, when you're tired, 
and you have a lot of burdens, which who doesn't? He gives us rest. That's pretty cool. That's what Jesus has been teaching me lately. And that's actually what I was thinking about that more. I mean, you can't make that up, right? I mean, you have to actually have been hearing something from Jesus or, or you're making stuff up, so, and that doesn't work so well. But that's actually what Jesus was talking to me about today. It was like, Carl, you're tired, you're burdened. Those are other issues. But if you just come to me, I actually will give you. So I said that to them, and they're both like, wow, that is so cool. And I said, seriously, now, you guys go. I know you love Jesus. Have you noticed that people prefer that you say positive things rather than negative things? Rather than, I know you don't love Jesus, which doesn't make any sense to me for anybody. Why would you ever say that to anybody? I've made a habit out of telling people they love Jesus who don't even know anything about Jesus. And I'm, sh- I st- I'm like, I'm sure you love him. I'm, maybe you don't know him very well, but you must love him. I told a Muslim member of parliament this one day. We had a Bible study in the parliament in Lebanon that I led, and I asked him to lead it once. And he said, well, I don't know anything about Jesus. He's a, he was a Muslim, a Sunni Muslim. I said, yes, you do. He goes, no, I don't. I go, yes, you do. Again, you might call that reverse evangelism. I don't know what it is, but it's encouraging people to a place that they're not yet. I think it's just good human relations 101, honestly. I said, yes, you do. No, you don't. Yes, you do. And I said, Mespah, tell me something that you don't know about Jesus. And he goes, Carl, that sentence doesn't make sense. I, I, I said, I know, but it sounded kind of cool. So and I, did, I said that. I go, tell me something. I said, I'm so convinced you know something about Jesus that just tell me something that you think you don't know. And he goes, well, I know one thing. And I go, okay, well, what's that? He goes, Jesus said, uh, he went like this. He said, love, uh, love, love God with, I don't know, with heart or mind and uh, everything, and love your neighbor as yourself. He goes, he said that. And I said, I actually said, dude. I said, dude. That's everything. You actually know everything about Jesus. Because Jesus says, this is everything, right? All the law, all the prophets are summarized in this one statement, and you know it. That's unbelievable. And he got really excited. And then he started leading the Bible study in the parliament as a Muslim. Now, that freaks people out. I'm sorry if that freaks you out. I don't really care. But because the point is, he opened the Bible, and he was teaching other Muslims about Jesus from the Bible And they heard it from him. They didn't want to hear it from me. The leader of the Hezbollah, the organization that we would call terrorist, was in that meeting. As Misbah, the member of parliament who who knew nothing about Jesus, went through the Gospel of Luke. Now, is that cool or what? But that's because we're, and that's what the Mormons started to do. Within about five minutes, both those Mormon guys in my house were in tears. Because as they were trying to talk about Jesus, as I kept encouraging them to talk about Jesus, and they realized they couldn't talk about him, they got so frustrated slash convicted, I think, that they both started to cry. Now, that wasn't my point. I wasn't trying to embarrass them. I was trying to encourage them. But isn't that something important to take away? Rather than saying to a Muslim or a Jehovah Witness or to a Mormon or your atheist neighbor or whoever you're going to hell or you're lost or you're astray or you're an outsider or you don't know the truth and then make yourself look like you know the truth as if you know all the truth rather than doing that what if we just lift up Jesus and say we're all actually trying to find the real God and we think Jesus is the way to the real God the Mormon version the Muslim version the Jewish version the somebody's a God version whatever we're all seeing through a glass darkly let's be humble and just lift up Jesus That was number one. uh, Thought number two is I'm going to play a snippet of a song, and I want you to guess who this is. My guess is if you're under 40, you won't know, but the rest of you should know pretty quickly. So who is this singer? See if you can guess it first. As soon as you hear his voice, you'll know. Where's the microphone? Joe Cocker. See, young people are like, who? Joe Cocker. So I was, I was fly fishing with a buddy. I was fishing with a buddy in eastern, uh, western Colorado a couple years back, and he and I both like to fly fish. And he has, he has a pond that's stocked full of huge trout, so it's not really 
I mean, it's fun for about an hour, and then your arm gets sore, and then you're like, okay, how many five-pound rainbow trout can I catch? I know it's difficult, but this, I was, you know, it's for the Lord. And uh, so anyway, his name is Duffy. So Duffy and I are fishing and just having fun. And he goes, hey, do you want, me, you want to meet my neighbor? I said, sure, I generally, generally like neighbors, but, I mean, who's your neighbor? He says, Joe Cocker. I said, Joe Cocker's your neighbor? I mean, Joe Cocker died now about two years ago, so this must have been, this was a year before he died, whenever that was. I said, really, your neighbor is Joe Cocker? He goes, yeah, he owns the ranch right next to me. And I said, sure, of course, so that sounds awesome. And so we jumped in Duffy's pickup truck and drove down the gravel road. And as we're driving down the road, my friend Duffy's telling me, now listen, Joe is uh, somewhere between an agnostic and atheist. He's, Br- he's, a, you know, he's a British rocker, and, so, and he looks like he's about to die. It turns out he actually was about to die. But, uh, and he doesn't like Christianity. He said, so, you know, Carl, just don't talk. And I go, dude, do I ever talk about Christianity? I don't even like Christianity. I mean, I grew up in it. My dad's a pastor, and I'm a pastor, and I, I don't even like my own religion. I mean, I would never talk to him about Christianity. He, I said, you know that. He goes, yeah, 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 yeah. I know that thing where you say it's not Christianity, it's Jesus, but don't talk to him about either one because he won't like it. I'm like, I go, I can't talk about Jesus. And he goes, I, you don't. He said, he's my neighbor. We've been neighbors for 20 years. He's hypersensitive. I've been, I've been preaching to him for 20 years, and he doesn't want to hear it. Not Christianity, not Jesus. And I said, well, I'll try it, but I've never tried to not talk about Jesus. I don't know if it'll work. He's like, Carl, it has to work. And so I, I said, okay, because I'm thinking, you know, it's his neighbor, and when you're f- friends with a famous person, there is some sensitivity. So we get to his house, we go in, and, and Joe's making a green, a green shake. And he said, hi, I'm Joe. I said, I'm Carl. And he doesn't know who I am. I, uh, my friend didn't, didn't call ahead. We just showed up. And he said, I drink this now. You know, I, I've, you know, uh, I used to drink other stuff for a long time, and that was killing me. So now I drink these stupid things that don't taste very good, but, you know, it's supposedly not killing me. Anyway, he goes on this whole long thing. He lived in a castle that they had imported brick by brick from England. And it's out in the middle of, out in the middle of western Colorado. If you know where Grand Junction is, way on the western side, it's almost to there by Delta. Anyway, so random. And so... Uh, you know, as one does, I mean, he assumed I knew who he was, so I didn't need to ask, who are you? But he doesn't know who I am. So he says, so, Carl, who are you? What do you do? And I looked at my friend, and my friend's like, <laughs> and I'm thinking, how do I say who am I and what do I do without saying the name Jesus? I actually never tried this before. And so I thought this would be fun. This would be a challenge. I'm going to say what I do and not say Jesus. This is my new, it's kind of weird, but it'll be, it'll be kind of fun to try. So I go, I was trying to think of all the things I could say that I do, that who I am that doesn't say the word Jesus. And I said, well, I do, I do peacemaking between Israelis and Palestinians. And he goes, holy, I don't think I'm supposed to cuss right in church. <laughs> you can guess what. And he said, how do you do that? And my friend's like, <laughs> and I go, uh, how do I do I go, well, um, we, we, uh, use an ancient document that uh, that the Palestinians and the Israelis both appreciate. And he goes, he looks at his friend Duffy and he goes, dude, why is he being so vague? <laughs> and then I go, I go, Steve, his name was Steve, I called Duffy. I said, can I please? And he goes, oh, God, okay, just, just say it. I go, oh, my God. It's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We use the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus, three chapters in the book of Matthew, and we sit down and read the whole thing with Palestinians and Israelis, and then we talk about it. And we do that around the table, back room, members of parliament, even heads of state, and it's, and it's magical. And he goes, he said, holy, again, another word. And he goes, uh, he said, you read the whole thing? How, how long is it? I said, it's not very long. It usually takes about 22, 23 minutes if you just read it. And he goes, where is it again? I said, it's, it's in the Bible, in the book of Matthew. And he goes, oh, he said, we should read that. He goes, that's very interesting to me. If Palestinian leaders and Israeli leaders, you know, are, he said, we should read that. I said, okay, I mean, do you have a, a Bible in the house? And he goes, hey, Jenny. Jenny was his maid. Do we have a Bible around here? She goes, just a minute, sir. So she disappears downstairs, and she comes back up with one of those family Bibles that's like, you know, this thick and like that. And she's literally going <laughs> like this. And she plops it down on the counter. And he goes, 
I think we should read this. And my knucklehead friend Duffy goes, well, I mean, how long, is it, how long does it take? I'm like, dude, what's wrong with you? I mean, if it takes 10 hours, I mean, he wants to read the Bible. What's, I said it takes about 22 minutes. And he's, and he's like, let's go in the living room and sit down and read it. So we went in the living room. He, he opens it up, and he goes, where is that? And so I opened it up to Matthew, found Matthew chapter 5. You know, it's Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. This is the, the ethics of Jesus or the, the greatest, you know, kind of clump of teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. It's all right there. And, um, and so he opened it, and <laughs> I don't know how he knew how to do this. Joe said, uh, Steve, why don't you read the first section? It turns out that's chapter 5. And I'll read the second section, and Carl, you read the last section. Okay. All right. Well, that worked out because there's three sections. There's three of us. So Steve read Matthew 5. That's where the Beatitudes are and all kinds of great stuff in Matthew 5. Uh, I read, and, and, and he kept kind of grunting. He would like, we'd read something, and he'd go, ugh, ugh, and then he would go and say a bad word. And then, and then I started, chapter 6, and, of course, it ends in this beautiful you know, the end of Matthew chapter 6 into this beautiful do not worry because, I mean, why in the world would you worry when your father knows everything you need? And look at the birds and the flowers, and you know the passage. And then, <coughs> and then he's like, <coughs> and he turns one page as Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. And you all know that because I'm sure you've memorized the most important document of all time. If you haven't, you should. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 starts out with do not judge. So, He's reading. So he goes, <clears throat> all right, here I go. And he was like really nervous. This is so funny. And he goes, do not judge. Holy. And then he said it again. And he goes, what is this? And then he actually stood up and he started going like this, pacing back and forth. What is this? What is this? What is this? He goes, nobody does that. And I said, you're right. Nobody does most of what we just read, actually, frankly. And I don't either. But, I mean, it does say that. He goes, oh, I mean, he goes, Carl, do you know that if we actually all did what this just said, that the world would be perfect? That's a pretty profound thought, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, I actually never thought that exact thought before, and I think that might be right. If we actually did what Matthew 5, 6, and 7 says to do and believed what it says to believe and lived our lives out of that, the world I think by definition would be a perfect place. And Joe Cocker figured that out. So he went on, you know, do not judge because you will be. Jesus isn't just saying don't judge. I mean, he could say that too because there's only one judge and it's not you. And see, that's the good news is there is a judge, but it's not any of us. Isn't that great? Huh, so we can just relax. That burden of deciding whether he's in or out, that's not yours. That burden of deciding whether that guy's sinning or not, that's not yours. So you can just breathe deep and just go, oh, there is a judge and it's not me. It doesn't look like Carl at all. Because Jesus says, don't judge because why? He's, he's being gracious to us. He's saying, Carl, don't do what you're tempted to always do. And I am tempted to always judge. Of course, not myself. I, I'm, I actually am an expert at Pastor Jim's sins already. I'm an expert on his sins. I just met him yesterday. But I'm not very good on my own. But he says, Carl, don't judge because you will be judged in the way that you judge. See, Jesus is being kind to us with that. He's being nice to us. He's not shaking his finger in our face saying, don't you judge, Carl Medeiros. You bad boy, I'm the judge. No, he's saying, Carl, I, I, this is how I, literally how I picture Jesus saying this to me. Carl, dude, I call people dude, so I'm sure he calls me dude too. Carl, dude, seriously, I got it. Relax. Don't judge, because when you do judge, then you'll end up getting judged by everybody in the same harshness that you judge them, and that's awkward, and it's not fun, and you don't want to be judged. So just, just don't do that. That's how I picture Jesus saying that. So Joe read that. He said holy a couple times as he read that verse, and then he stumbled through the rest of chapter 7, and then he kept going. And I don't know if you know verse 1 of chapter 8 or not, but it says, and he read it, and the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he didn't speak as their teachers of the law, but as one with authority. Isn't that cool? Jesus doesn't speak like our religious leaders. He has authority. Why does Jesus have authority? Because he's God. But they didn't all know that. They're just like, whoa, 
this man has authority. And Joe's reading that, and he's like, wow, that's cool. And then he just was going to keep going. So I actually cut him off. I go, Joe, 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 let's, let's stop, stop here, because I think he would have just kept reading forever. And I said, let's just talk about this. So for the next, uh, by the way, he said he was busy. His, oh, his band was rehearsing in their studio downstairs. Three times as we're reading, bandmates came up and said, hey, Joe, what are you doing? And he's like, get the blank out of here. We're reading a blankety-blank book and, you know, blankety-blank, get blankety-blank. I had back down there. I'm like, I've never heard so much cussing as I've read the Bible ever in my life. And uh, so they were all confused. They go back down. He had given us five minutes because he was recording. This is now two hours later. And we're discussing this, and we're talking about this, and we're talking about the Beatitudes, and we're talking about not worrying and not judging and seeking God's kingdom. And he asked, what is God's kingdom? What a beautiful question. And then at the end of the time, the whole band came up, and they walked into the room. And they're like, dude, I don't know who this guy is. They pointed to me. They're like, oh, hi, Steve. Uh, I don't know who this guy is. Or what are you doing, by the way? You know, they saw the Bible. What are you doing? Anyway, we got to go. We got to go. So he stood up and he's like, man, this has been, I don't even know what just happened. This is the most profound moment of my whole life. And he looks at my friend Duffy and he goes, dude, I've known you for 22 years. Why have you never told me this? Remember on the way over, Steve said to me, I've been witnessing to him for 22 years and he doesn't like it. You know what? That's because he's been witnessing the wrong thing. He thought it was Jesus, but it was Christianity, and they're not the same. Controversy alert, Jesus wasn't a Christian. Have you ever thought about that? That's not even shocking. That's not even controversial. Just nobody ever says it. Jesus wasn't a Christian. I mean, his religious background was Jewish, but in one sense, he wasn't even Jewish. He was Jesus, Christ, the anointed one, the king the king of the new kingdom that he's bringing in, the son of God, 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 God in the flesh, Emmanuel. He's lots of things, but he's, not, he's definitely not Christian. He's also not from America. I know. I said that once at a Baptist church in Texas, and I almost got lynched. I mean, they were not very happy about that. I, they were pretty sure he actually is from Texas. Jesus, Jesus isn't white, not a Christian, not Republican, also not Democrat, but it's more fun to say he's not Republican, isn't it? You know, it's sense we're poking people here, you know. He's not from Nebraska. He's not a Husker fan. I am too, brother. I am too. I grew up in Shadron. I'm a Husker fan. I don't know. If maybe Actually, maybe Jesus is a Husker fan now that I think of it. Um, you know what I mean? He was a brown-skinned Middle Eastern guy, a short, brown-skinned. That's why I love The Chosen so much. When I, when I heard about a new Jesus movie, I was like, oh, I can't. I'm just, I'm going to gag. If there's another white Jesus from America, Jesus film movie, I'm just going to. I'm going to die. And everybody's like, Carl, no, I think you'll like this one. No, I won't. And uh, no, no, this one's different. No, it's not. And I didn't watch the first season until like the third season was already out. So I binge watched all of them. And I'm like, oh, and then I cry through every single one and feel like such a horrible sinner because I was judging. And then I just remember Joe Cocker and that do not judge thing. But anyway, so, oh, and then one last thing about this story. I mean, other than Joe Cocker, oh, I prayed with him real quick and then he went off, and then he died the next year. So I don't know what happened. I, I didn't talk to him again, but uh, he did give me free tickets to his Red Rocks concert, so that was kind of cool. So I hung out with him backstage for a little bit and prayed for him again. I prayed for him right before he went on, before he went on stage. Um, but uh, the Mormon thing, so because of Chosen, I go to a thing in D.C. every year called the National Prayer Breakfast, and we, it's kind of a political slash Jesus event. And uh, the 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 founders and the financiers of the, of the Chosen were there, and some of them are Mormon. Do you know that? In fact, the guy that runs their fund is Mormon, and he's a guy named Rob from, surprise, surprise, from Utah, where they filmed that. I mean, so there's a lot of Mormons involved, and the main production isn't Mormon, but some of the guys behind the scenes are. He was. So we're talking. He and I are talking for like two hours and really hit it off, and he's like, man, ask me any question. He goes, I love Jesus. He said, I'm Latter-day Saints, I love Jesus. I'll, and then he just went on and talked and talked. And I told him my story about the two guys. And I said, is that a good idea? Is that a good strategy? You know, I said, let's talk about the guy in your badge. And let's talk about Jesus, not Joseph Smith. And he goes, oh, that's so profound. He goes, do you know, other than running the fund that generates cash for the chosen, I'm also in charge of training for all of our Mormon missionaries. Would you come to Salt Lake City and teach us how to talk about Jesus. 
So I, I said yes. I know it's shocking, but yeah, I said yes. That was just like that was like three weeks ago when that happened. Isn't that cool? See, when you talk about Jesus, I mean, actually Jesus. So, so say the name Jesus. By the way, don't say the name Christ or Lord. That's not his name. That, those are his titles. His name is Jesus. In English, his name is Jesus. I like to say Jesus of Nazareth. I think that kind of levels the playing field a little bit. It doesn't, because when I say the Lord Jesus Christ, then Jesus becomes his middle name. First name, Lord, last name, Christ. That's not, that's not it. His name is Jesus. And I think it just levels the playing field that allows people that don't know Jesus to, like, think about him a little bit in a different way. Because as soon as you say Christ or Lord or church or Christianity, it becomes religious. And people have already made their decision about our religion. They're, they're not into it. I don't know if you know, but they're mostly not into it. But if you ask people about Jesus, they're at least curious. They might not understand. They might think you're talking about Christianity. So I go pretty far when I say Jesus and they say Christianity, I say no. No, 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 I'm not talking about, you actually don't know how irreligious I am. And by the way, I'm not going to tell you this morning either, but I'm fairly irreligious. I actually am not a fan of religion. It binds, it has rules, it has regulations. Jesus came and said again and again, you've heard it said this, but I say this. You've heard it said this, but I say, what would he do? He would take the law and then he'd go to the heart. He'd take the law and then he'd go to the heart. The heart is much deeper and much harder to discern. It's not easier to follow Jesus, it's more difficult. It's easier to become a Christian. I became a Christian when I prayed the sinner's prayer on this date, and you can say it, and we say, and I got baptized, praise the Lord, I go to church. Easy peasy, that's nothing. Try following Jesus. See, it raises the bar, it doesn't lower it. I don't call myself, if somebody asks me, are you a Christian? I either say, depending on what you mean, yes or no, but more and more I just say, no, I grew up that way, then I met Jesus. He changed my life. Now I follow him. And then they go, isn't that a Christian? And I go, do you know a lot of Christians that are acting like Jesus? And they go, oh, yeah, okay, good point, right? So you play into the, rather than them saying, well, there's lots of hypocrites in the church, why don't we just say it? Let's preempt that argument by just admitting, uh, yeah, and me. I mean, by the way, I travel around the world teaching this stuff, and I don't do it. Do you think I judge? I just confess that I, I made judgments about the Chosen film, the greatest Jesus thing of all time. I'm judging it and hadn't even watched it yet. I was judging the new movie, The Jesus Revolution, before I watched it. Why am I doing that? Because I'm not like Jesus. So let's just, let's get, let's get that Christians are hypocrites thing just off the table. It's like, yep, and man, you, have, you actually have no idea. In fact, if you want to talk about hypocrisy, I'll tell you all kinds. My dad's a pastor. My granddad was a pastor. My mom's dad pastored the Somebody's Got Church in Dalton. That's kind of cool. And then my dad pastored the church in Shadron. I have a long history of a Somebody's God pastors in my family, and we're all hypocrites because we all don't do everything that we teach and believe. I think it's okay. And then if you take the power out of the hypocrisy, you do that by saying, yep, I'm a hypocrite. Okay, last one last story. And uh, I should tell you, so just real quick, I have four books out there. I wrote them. Believe it or not, I hate writing. I got a D in English, but I wrote books. Uh, that, the, they're editors, okay? So they actually make sense. There's this beautiful gift of, of God uh, to the world called editors. Uh, speaking of Jesus, uh, this is the last one left. I, there were only two that I had in my garage when I came up here yesterday. Uh, so I grabbed one. So here's one, and there's some more of these. So anyway, and there are $10, and they're out there, plus these four right here. All right, there's my big sales pitch. How was that? Hardcore, wasn't it? One last story. And I love this story because it illustrates so much. And it shares my favorite story in the Bible as well. So we were in Lebanon. And I would go to meet the leader of the Hezbollah uh, every year. So if you're younger, you don't know who Hezbollah is. But if you're my age or older, you kind of go, oh, the Hezbollah. Aren't they the ones that you know, blow stuff up? And yeah, it's th that group. And Hezb in Arabic means party, like political party. Allah in Arabic means God. Right? I, I'm assuming you, by the way, Allah is not the Muslim God. Allah is the name for God in Arabic. It'd be like saying Dios is the Spanish God. Dios isn't the God of the Mexicans. He's, he's, that's God in Spanish. Allah is God in Arabic. All Arab Christians worship Allah. Like, wait a minute, is that true? Yeah, Google it. Anyway, 
or don't, because that's very controversial. It's actually not. It's just the word for God in Arabic. So anyway, the Hezbollah is the party of God. They're all Shiite Muslims. They're connected to Iran. They want to blow up Israel and other stuff. So that's those guys. So I know the leader of that group very well, and my wife knows his wife, and, and our kids know his kids. And they are our friends. And yes, they're terrorists, and I, that's awkward. I don't know what to say about that. But our government doesn't like that either. But anyway, I also say sorry, but, you know, that, I don't know how that happened, but it did. So anyway, I'm in his house one day, and I have a, a delegation, a group of people with me. And one of them is the former governor of South Carolina, who is now the um, – the uh, executive director of the World Food Program for the United Nations, David, Be David Beasley is his name, uh, good God-fearing Christian Republican governor of South Carolina for a long time and now uh, doing this thing. So he was with me on the trip and a couple of former congressmen as well, one Democrat, one, Re one Republican, both who love Jesus. Um, and uh, the, the Hezbollah leader said, uh, Carl, so you know, what's our topic today? That's how we started the conversation, where there's 10 of us and about 10 of them, and a couple with AK-47s, and you know they're kind of hanging out as well. And I said, I think we should just talk about what we always do. I said, just like that. And he goes, he said, Carl, do you ever talk about anything besides Jesus? And I said, well, I've tried some other things, but they're not as interesting, frankly, so let's just go with that. And he goes, okay. And then I gave him an Arabic Bible, and he, and he laughed. He goes, he said, you know, he said, come with me for a second. He took me back into his bedroom, and in his bedroom, up on the wall, there were about 15 Arabic Bibles. He goes, you know, you've given me all of those. I said, well, that's great, but, I mean, they shouldn't be up there. Are you reading them? He goes, yeah, I've, I've, you know, I've, I've, I said, don't lie. He's like, no, I haven't read them. I said, okay, well, you should, you should actually read. There, I would just give him the New Testament, not the whole book. I mean, the whole book is big, so I just I tend to give people the New Testament. Uh, not that I don't believe in the Old Testament, but, you know, anyway. Uh, so we went back out. We talked for about an hour. And then at the end of our conversation, the TV crew came in. And Hezbollah has their own TV channel, it turns out. It's called El, um, El Minar. And it's broadcast. It's satellite. So all over the Arab world, all over the Muslim world, actually. It's a big, it's like Al Jazeera, um, CNN, Fox News, whatever. But it's the Shiite version of that. And so it's big in Iran, big in southern Syria, big in southern, uh, southern Iraq, and southern Lebanon, which is like the swath of Shiite Muslims across the Middle East. Um, and so they came in, cameraman, guy with a light, guy with a the microphone. They went over to the sheikh, and they said to the sheikh, the Hezbollah leader, uh, we heard there's a, a, govern a U.S. governor here. We'd like to interview him. So the sheikh asked me to ask my friend David, because I speak Arabic, so we're speaking Arabic, and uh, David doesn't speak Arabic. So I said, uh, dude, to the governor, he's also a dude. I said, do you want to be on Hezbollah TV? And he goes, uh, I, I don't know. I said, well, do you ever want to be president of America? He goes, possibly, and actually now possibly. And I said, well, then I wouldn't, I really wouldn't do it. Then. <laughs> I think it's probably not, it's not going to be good at some point for your political future. So I said, okay, never mind. And then the sheikh I told the sheikh he doesn't want to do it. The sheikh said the Hezbollah, to the Hezbollah uh, TV guy, he goes, oh, just interview Carl. He'll do it. And so and I was just sitting there. I was sitting. The sheikh's here. Governor Beasley's here. The room's full of people. I'm sitting here. So the guy walks up to me with a camera. It's a big one on the shoulder, you know, one of those big TV camera things. And the other guy has the microphone. And then the guy with the light. And they just walked up to me. And they didn't ask. He walked up to me and went like this. He said, uh, Mr. Carl. Tell us why you love the Hezbollah and hate Israel. <laughs> so uh, just in case you're wondering, I don't hate Israel, and I've never said that, and obviously I don't hate Israel, and I don't love the Hezbollah. I've never said anywhere, I, and I wouldn't say now that I love the Hezbollah, the organization called the Hezbollah. So what was that? That's called the trick question. So I do what I always do when I get asked those kinds of questions, which is more often than you might think, I pray. And my prayer, go, my prayer goes like this. That's it. And in that little gulp, and usually it, like a gulp comes out because I'm like, oh, my goodness. And in that prayer, mostly it's just like help. I mean, most of the prayers help. And then I do the next thing that I've learned to do, which I start out by saying, which I said, that reminds me of a story Jesus told. And the guy, you know, he's holding the microphone up to me. He said, tell us why you love the Hezbollah and hate Israel. And I went, that reminds me of a story Jesus told. And now as, I, as I'm saying that, I'm thinking, okay, Jesus, remind me of a story that you told. I remember that the stories Jesus told, we have a name for them. I call them stories that don't make any sense without a point, but you call them parables. 
and so there are these things that we think make the gospel understandable, which is the opposite of what Jesus said. He said, I speak in parables so that you won't understand. It's very confusing. But anyway, the, these stories. And so I said, that reminds me of a story Jesus told. And the guy took the microphone back. He went, shoo, which means what? Like, how did the question he asked get me to say, that reminds me of a story Jesus told? And I'm thinking, come on, Jesus. And now there's a handful of these stories Jesus told that are my favorites that would have likely come back. By the way, to be reminded of something, you have to know the thing, right? Your, your kids ever pray for help on the test, and you're like, well, God will help you probably exactly as much as you know the material. That's how much God will help you. <laughs> so there are about 30, about 30 parables in the New Testament. It depends on how you count a parable, but about 30. They're not that difficult to memorize. You should know them all. This is God's design. Imagine the Trinity sitting in heaven, Father, Son, and Spirit. They're drawing straws for who has to go down and die. Jesus gets the short straw, so they go, okay, you're, I'm sure that's good theology. You're the guy that's going down there, and now before you die, what are you going to do? How about if you tell stories that don't make any sense? Got it? All right, ready, break, and then Jesus goes down. That was the strategy of God to announce himself to the world in this new kingdom is to tell stories that don't make any sense. I love that. So he said, shoo, what? And I just launched in. I said there was a wealthy patriarch who had two sons. You may have heard this story, but not the way I'm about to tell it. I promise you. I'm going to tell it with a Middle Eastern flavor to it. Again, I'm not sure you know, but the Bible is a 100% Middle Eastern book. In fact, it barely makes sense to Americans. Bare, more likely to farmers and ranchers than it would to people in Denver, for sure. You know, so that's good. You've got a little leg up on us city folk down in Denver, but still barely makes sense. because it's so, so there was a wealthy patriarch who had two sons. The youngest son, and I'm just, I'm just going. I'm looking right into the camera, and I'm just telling the story. The younger son, while his father was still alive, came and asked for his half of the inheritance. Uh, of the inheritance. When I said that, the guy holding the camera went like this, and he looked at me, and there was just like, like you sucked the air out of the room. I mean, even in America, that would be awkward, too, if you come and ask for your dad for your inheritance while he's still alive. But in the Middle East, it's unthinkable that the younger son would ask the father for his half while the dad's still alive. And you know what I said? He gave it to him. Again, the cameraman was like this, and the guy with the microphone, he actually, at that point, he took the microphone back, and I went like this, like, hello. And the sheikh, the sheikh was watching the whole thing. He goes, so he put it back in front of me. And I said, he gave it to him. And you know what the younger son did? He ran off to a foreign country, and he spent all of his money. He had lots of friends at the beginning. He lost all of his friends when his money was, money was out, and he was so desperate and destitute, he, he ended up eating and sleeping and drinking with pigs. Oh, you'd think that the, the place was going to... Muslims, like Jews, don't do pigs, right? You know that? Kosher is halal. Halal in Islam, kosher in Judaism. You don't do pigs. You're not around pigs. There are no pigs. There are no pigs in the Middle East. And that's who the younger son of this great patriarch, this Arab statesman, was eating and sleeping with, pigs. And at that point, the cameraman never went back to looking through the hole again. He just watched me the whole time with a crinkled up nose look on his face. Like, who, who, what kind of a story is this? And then I said, and one day, the young man came to his senses. And he thought, wait a minute. Even as a servant back in my dad's house. I'd be better off than I am now. So I'm going to go back and say, I'm sorry. And he's walking back home and he's repenting. He's, he's rehearsing his repentance speech. And his father seemed to be looking for him because he saw him from a long ways away. And he gathered up his thobe and he ran to his son. When I said that, the cameraman actually literally went like this. And he was holding the camera like this and he turned, he actually turned his back on me. He was so upset with this story because patriarchs don't run. Patriarchs never run. I've, I've had the privilege of seeing some heads of state. I've seen King Abdullah, King Hussein, the father in Jordan a couple times. And when you go into, I don't ever call up King Abdullah in Jordan and say, hey, I'm at the Marriott here at the Fifth Circle and I'm on Jordan. If you want to come on over, I'm in room 607. No, he would never come to me. I go to him. You show honor to the patriarch by by going to him. The important person sits, never runs, never, never, never runs. Because partly running in a skirt, as you ladies probably know, or a long dress 
thobe, whatever, uh, you know, that a man in that part of the world is hard. You have to hike it up, and then you've got to show your knees and your ankles, which is weird in that part of the world, and to run in sandals. The whole thing is messed up. And he ran to the sun, and he threw his arms open wide, and at that point, I promise you this, everybody in the room where I'm telling the story knew exactly what was going to happen. Just as I think in the days of Jesus when Jesus would have said, and he opened his arms like this, they knew exactly what would happen. You know what has to happen to the son who has shamed the father and the family and the tribe and the clan and the village. You have to kill him. For sure. For sure. You don't know this because you're Americans. I'm American too, but I lived a long time in the Middle East. I know that shame and honor is everything. And when you shame the clan, there is only one way to bring honor back to the tribe. You kill the one who has shamed you. So he brings his arms out, and everybody, I could see it on the face. The cameraman at that point actually turned back around, and I could see kind of a knowing look. Like, okay, now this story is going to start to make sense to me. He's going to kill, he's going to drive the knife into his son's chest. Well done, well done. Not even controversial, by the way. We think, we hear of honor killings. We think, oh my God, that's so, not even controversial there. Because if you shame the family, you deserve to die. And that boy deserved to die. The father, as we know, we know the good ending of the story, don't we? He doesn't kill him. He hugs him. And he puts a new ring on his finger, a new robe on his back, new sandals on his feet, each that represents something very powerful in that part of the world. And then when I said that, you could just see the TV guy again. He's just like, oh, man, this story is the stupidest story I've ever heard. This story doesn't make any sense. And he brings the boy back home. And then again, the hearers of Jesus would be like, oh, clever. You do it in the village. You kill him in the village. You bring him home. You trick him. Clever trickery. That's also a very Middle Eastern thing. You know, the guy wasn't smart enough to run when the dad's hugging him. Like, what dad would hug his son that went off and slept with pigs? I mean, no dad would do that. And he ran to him. The whole thing's wrong. So he's going to bring him back home and like, look, everybody, here's my son. Boom, kill him in the village in front of everybody. Restore honor. That's what should happen. And, and then, again, people in the Hezbollah, they were like, I could see the sheikh. The sheikh was going, mm, yes, yes, yes. He brings him back home. And he throws a party. And he throws a party. And then I looked right in the camera. I'd been kind of like doing how I'm speaking to you, kind of looking everywhere. But I looked right in the camera and said, and that's why we're here. Because Jesus throws parties for sinners who come home. And then I put the, gave the mic back to the guy. And it was just, it was silent in the room. <laughs> the guy goes like this and cuts off the camera. And the guy goes, Ya Allah, Ya Allah, Ya Allah, which just means, oh God, oh God, oh God. And then he turns to the sheikh, who's been watching the whole thing anyway, and he said, Sheikh, I'm so sorry. He said, I asked Mr. Carl to talk about why he loves the Hezbollah, but he didn't. He just told that story. And, he, and the sheikh goes, it's Carl. What do you expect him to do? <laughs> and then he, I swear to God, the, Hezbollah, the leader of the Hezbollah gave me a high five. I just preached that message on Hezbollah TV. That's what happens when you talk about Jesus and what Jesus talks about. So I would say when I say talk about Jesus, I actually literally mean Jesus and or the things that Jesus talks about. So I love just to say, oh, that reminds me of a story Jesus told. You're tired? Oh, that reminds me of something Jesus, Jesus said. You know, Jesus said you can come to me and I'll give you rest. I don't know how that works. Isn't that the coolest thing ever? That's the good news. Now, we think the cross and resurrection is the only good news. It's not the only good news. It's the ultimate good news. But it's not the only good news. Everything of Jesus that he said and did is good news. It's all the gospel. It's all the good news. His whole life, it culminates in his death and then, thankfully, resurrection, which is the best of the good news. If you put these simple ideas, I mean, I, I made it sound complicated because I'm telling these big, wild stories, right? But it's actually really not. Learn the Sermon on the Mount. Learn the parables of Jesus. Practice repeating them to people and telling them nonchalantly. 
when somebody, I'm at the grocery store and somebody's having a bad day, I say, how's your day going? I'm having the worst day ever. I go, oh, man, I just, I just pray that God just blesses you today. I don't say, well, you're having a bad day. Uh, <clears throat> shall, we, shall we close our eyes and bow our heads and pray? I mean, I would never do that anyway. I don't know why I lowered my voice when I said that, but that's just weird, right? So I just do it. Well, I just pray that God gives you a better day than you've been having. And then they're like, yeah, I just prayed for you. You didn't even know it. Isn't that cool? God's everywhere. It's so easy when you become conversant and natural in the ways of Jesus. I think this is a cool church. I like it. I took a couple pictures of you guys when you were worshiping, and I sent it to my wife and my kids, my three adult kids, and said, pray for me that I'm in this lovely church in Alliance, Nebraska. It's so fun to be back in Nebraska, kind of my home state, and have a little bit of history with my dad and the Samsons and, you know, whatever. I think that's so cool. And it and the worship was awesome, as I told you. It was worshipful worship. And uh, getting to know you has been really fun. Uh, I have a lot of hope for you guys. Can I just pray for you? Can I pray? You want to stand up? It works better if you stand up. I don't know if you knew that or not. It's in the Bible. I'm sure it is somewhere. <laughs> Father, I just thank you for uh, these lovely people, for their hearts. Uh, they obviously love you. They're committed to you. They want to follow you, Jesus. I can see it. I sense it. I feel it. It's, it's obvious to me. So I just pray that you would uh, encourage them as they try again with their family members and with their neighbors and their coworkers, when they try again sharing some things about you, Jesus. They would come out a little bit more naturally, a little more effectively, and that people would be added, added into your beautiful kingdom because of their expressions of faith and because they are following you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's thank Carl, and we're going to take an offering again. So stay where you're at for a second, and we'll pass the offering bags around. So...